I'd be remiss to not say a quick thank you to each of our panelists. Um, times right now, schedules are tougher than ever. So I really appreciate this group taking some time to have a discussion with us today. Um, so let's kick things off with each of you telling everyone a little bit more about your respective organizations and your role with them. And we can kind of go down the line on the slide from here. So Kate, if you want to kick things off for us. Absolutely. Thanks, Jen. And thank you so much, Mike, for inviting us to be a part of this session today. Um, I'm the Deputy Director for Engagement and Strategic Initiatives at the Walters Art Museum, um, which is located in Baltimore. We have a collection that spans about seven millennia. Um, we're also an educational institution. We serve almost 30,000 pre-K through 12 students and teachers every year. And uh, my role specifically is to oversee all of our external facing functions, including fundraising, marketing, um, education and public programs, and visitor services. Perfect. Brock, do you want to give yourself your introduction and the introduction to the Almond Foundation? Sure. Great. Thanks, uh, Jen and uh, Mike and SCNH for uh, hosting all of us. And it's great to be on this panel with Kate and Jeff. Um, I am uh, Brock Yetzo, President and CEO of Almond Foundation. Uh, uh, like so many of us experiencing technical difficulties this morning, so I'm glad to join, but sorry I'm not there uh, by face. Uh, our organization is uh, based in Baltimore City, but we are a national organization. We were founded 23 years ago uh, by Doug Allman and the Allman family uh, that uh, reside in Howard County uh, after Doug uh, was diagnosed with cancer as a young adult in college. Uh, Doug is now a three-time cancer survivor, uh, but the organization was founded based on his personal experiences, and uh, our mission is to create a community of support uh, for young cancer patients and their loved ones um, as they navigate the disease. We define young adults as 15 to 39-year-olds, and over the past two decades, uh, we've raised uh, over $30 million and invested them in, in people, programs, and partnerships um, that are ensuring that no young adult has to face cancer alone. Many of those programs and partnerships are ones uh, folks on the call are probably familiar with that operate and live in the, uh, the Baltimore, Maryland, DC, Virginia metropolitan area, but we do have programs um, in 11 different cities all around the country, um, advocating and inspiring young people um, to live their life um, with, through, and beyond cancer. Awesome, thanks Brock. Um, and then last but not least, Jeff, if you could introduce yourself and your organization. Sure. Thanks to Kate and Brock for leading it off, and thanks Jen and Mike for the invitation. Um, so Jeff Breslin, I'm the CEO of Boys and Girls Clubs of Metropolitan Baltimore. Uh, Boys and Girls Clubs, uh, national brand, we've got about 4,700 clubs across the country, uh, but each Boys and Girls Club is uh, independent and locally governed. So we have four clubs here in Baltimore. Um, really, the I'll talk more about this, but our secret sauce is what happens in the club. So obviously the past couple of months has been different for us. Uh, but really, our opportunity and our responsibility is to give kids an incredible place to be um, in that out-of-school time and in, during the summer. So a variety of youth development programs um, operating in those four clubs, uh, a team of about 30 people uh, dedicated to that, and uh, looking forward to sharing a little more about how we've adjusted over the past few months. So thanks for having me. Awesome. Thanks, Jeff. So let's go ahead and kind of take a deeper dive into some areas that we've collectively talked about as initiatives that have maybe required some more creativity, um, some shifts to be made, maybe some new technologies and more. So if you're thinking kind of as you've each just explained a little bit more about your organizations and your mission, talk to me about um, some thoughts around operational changes, kind of day-to-day -day functions for both your you know, employees, um, but ultimately the networks and communities you serve. 
Jeff, do you want to kind of keep it going and, and go ahead and continue uh, sharing more about how you guys have made changes operationally? Sure. Yeah, so, you know, in March, obviously, the, the world changed a little bit for everybody. And we, like many youth development programs, had to shift um, pretty quickly because our job is to support kids and families on an everyday basis. Um, so we shifted to a, a virtual environment. Um, really, you know, obviously, this type of communication isn't new. Um, but at the same time, for a youth development organization that prides ourselves on relationships, uh, it really is about the in-person connection. So our team went to work um, pretty quickly to, to develop platforms and use existing platforms to, to continue those relationships, continue to deliver programs. Um, and then we also, we really kind of shook up our entire org structure and, and reprioritized and, and put people in new positions based on um, the current situation. So we went from staff that were in clubs to uh, three entirely new pillars of operation for us. Uh, we opened it, one of our clubs to serve children whose uh, parents were essential personnel. Uh, we had virtual programming and then we had family engagement and we put together different teams and you know our family engagement team did and is continuing to do what we call screen door visits where they're just checking on families. We've done about 1600 of those along with calls. Uh, so really we took a pause and, and, and reorganized uh, on the fly uh, the, the entire organization to try and meet the needs of, um, you know, the communities that we serve. So certainly technology played a huge role in that, um, both from an operational standpoint and also from a fundraising standpoint. Um, but then, you know, for us, just preaching flexibility. It's all been all about flexibility the past few months, controlling what we can uh, and then adjusting to what we can. Awesome. Thanks so much. Um, Kate, do you want to follow on with kind of some of the operational shifts that you've ultimately, ultimately had to make as an organization? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Um, you know, very similar to what Jeff is describing, you know, part of our whole delivery model was about that in-person connection and the idea that you would be coming to the museum in order to engage with art and others. Um, and so we immediately had to pivot and rethink our entire delivery model um, and immediately um, created with input from our communities and our stakeholders um, a new a whole new set of programs um, uh, you know, um, for serving pre-K through 12 teachers, so switching to a virtual tour model um, and then also launching a whole new set of public programs um, highlighting our collection. Um, and much like um, Jeffrey is describing, you know, we created, we activated a set of targeted teams within the organization that were tasked with different parts of the COVID response and empowered them to make recommendations and decisions. And so by doing that, it allowed us to move much faster, I think, than we would have otherwise. I do think that one thing that I, is, a, is a challenge, I think, for all of us in this moment um, is, is working through as we, as we maybe rely more on technology than we have in the past. Certainly what's happening with COVID has highlighted the incredible digital divides in our communities and especially in Baltimore. So we have also been thinking simultaneously while we are working based solutions, how are we also creating programs that do not rely on technology at all? So for example, we created a program called Classroom Connect, which are printable PDFs that we worked with partners in Baltimore City and Baltimore County to distribute at meal sites. Um, and so it is truly trying to think about where our different audiences are, what their needs are, what their, where they are in their lives and how we can you know, best reach them. 
I think that's great. I'm hearing a common theme here of the ability to um, assist a greater network than maybe, or get in front of a greater network than we typically would have the opportunity to. Um, Brock, could you talk to us a little bit about kind of some of the shifts that in the day-to-day -day for the Almond Foundation staff, but then ultimately uh, kind of the young adult network that you all support? Yeah, I'll say I'm incredibly proud of our organization and our team for being uh, flexible and, and nimble and, and quickly pivoting. Uh, you know, our organization, like so many nonprofits that are in, in the human service or direct service field, um, have been in our essential, right? And so the, the delivery of service to our clients has continued, and, and I'm sure Jeff would attest to this, has only become more complicated and more challenging, and, and their needs are greater. So on the mission delivery side, we have, and we're very proud, have continued to serve um, our clients uh, through our work in, in the hospitals and cancer centers, which has um, sort of operated business as usual uh, with the additional sort of COVID-19 implications. So we have navigators are working daily there and they've continued to stay connected with the rest of our team. Uh, we um, opened a year and a half ago a hospitality home for young cancer patients and families coming to Baltimore for life-saving treatment. And so we've had to really learn and lean on partners um, both here in Baltimore, like Ronald McDonald House and others, as well as a national network to, um, to really just learn best practices as it's unfolded. Uh, and so we've continued to have folks staying there, getting treatment, had to, had to adjust our occupancy rates to bring it down to 50% to allow for um, uh, you know, quarantine space if, if folks uh, do get the virus. Fortunately, no one has, and, and they successfully continue to come and go and get treatment and move on and, and live their life. Uh, but we've seen that across other programs where we've you know, we've been forced to do things that maybe we've talked about for years going virtual with support groups and, and ironically we've gone virtual now because we've had to and we've seen an uptick in participation and engagement so uh, that's been uh, again a challenge but i think uh, in every obstacle is an opportunity on the uh, you know the operational side we, we we have a young lean team so uh you know teleworking like all of us are um, I, I don't want to say has been um, without challenges, but I think we've been done a great job. I think the biggest thing is it's just really increased our, our level of communication. So we, we have a leadership team uh, that has helped navigate the organization through this. And instead of talking once a week, you know, we we literally talked uh, every day, if not twice a day, through the, the first month of the pandemic, and now continue frequent communication. Our board meets more regularly instead of every other month. You know, we've we've met every month. Uh, and then on the fundraising side, which I know all nonprofits are, are, are grappling with, uh, we've, we've had to postpone some events and activities to the fall. So there's still a lot of uncertainty, but we've also leaned into it and, and gone virtual and created unique and new concepts that has leveraged our community to, to, to step up and support us. So one example is we have a cross-country bike ride for college-age students that was uh, going off um, two weekends ago, the, the kids that bike across the country from Baltimore to the West Coast, and then... Uh, as well as this Sunday, we had our runners. So we had over 150 college kids that were supposed to spend 70 days on the road, sleeping on church floors, raising over a million dollars. And uh, they are still all doing that all around the country in communities that they live uh, in a virtual capacity. And we're seeing you know, high levels of engagement and participation. So uh, a lot of different changes related to fundraising operations and mission, but I'm, I'm, I'm proud and excited how the organization, the team has responded. That's awesome, Brock, and that's actually kind of a perfect segue into the fundraising side of things. Of, um, I'm going to have you go a little further, too, on just some of the kind of creative ideas or how you have been navigating with the thought of, yes, some events have gone virtual or others in the fall, uh, you know, have been postponed or the consideration of the possibility of them going virtual. Um, 
I'm going to go right to one of the points that I think is so awesome of your utilization of uh, social media as part of your kind of creative ways of fundraising. So could you tell us, Brock, a little bit about um, how you guys have gotten creative and shifted some of your efforts with fundraising? Yeah, we were, um, you know, fortunate in the early the early days of this pandemic to have a, a friend and a supporter. I actually was speaking with him this morning, uh, Chris Kopek, who goes by DJ Kopek, and uh, you know, Chris and April, his wife and their three kids. They're, um, you know, a family like so many that were sort of quarantined in their home in, in Ellicott City, Maryland. And, and and Chris is a DJ, a well-known DJ in Baltimore, and uh, he started spinning records, and people started logging on and and, and listening. Uh, and and uh, you know, after night one, he said, "Well, there's literally 30,000 people that logged in. We want to do something with this." And so he started getting food donations to for first responders and the food banks, and uh, it just sort of took off. And Chris has been a supporter of Ullman and a friend of ours. He helped um, get decking donated for Ullman House. And uh, so in, in speaking with him, he, he invited Ullman to be a part of one of his first nights that was leveraging his community and our community for uh, financial contributions to move the mission forward. Um, and so we, uh, we thought it was a great idea. Um, and uh, so we, in one night, uh, through one of his quarantine dance parties uh, in his basement, raised $107,000. Um, and we're excited. He had a, a you know, a, a lead gift of $25,000. It was a match and we were able to reach out to our community and, and get another um, matching gift of $25,000 from one of uh, our families, the family of Jimmy L. Roberts. Uh, and then from there, it just sort of snowballed. It gave us again, an opportunity and excuse to invite our community um, to support us in, in, a, in a time of need. And so the takeaway for me from that experience was, you know, uh, people, our communities, our, our supporters, um, if they're in a place and they haven't been, you know, significantly impacted by COVID-19 and, and all it is doing to so many families, uh, still have huge hearts and they have resources that they want to give. We just have to sometimes be a little more creative, lean into it and find ways and create different platforms and ways that they can do it. And the last thing I'll add is, is while this virtual thing is new, um, and if not done well, sometimes uh, it doesn't have the same effect. If done well, it has significant scale. Um, so in the DJ Kopech night, in a matter of uh, you know uh, 90 minutes, we reached 30 some thousand people. We could never do that in gala. We could never do that in a 5K race. Uh, so that's a significant opportunity for organizations to leverage. That's awesome. Thanks for sharing uh, sharing that, Brock. Um, Jeff, do you want to speak to kind of maybe um, some of the changes you've had to make specific to fundraising efforts or, um, you know, how how you guys have been kind of pushing forward? I think that's one of the kind of what we talked about. You, Kate, and I talked about, the you know, there are changes to fundraising that might have to take place. But at the end of the day, it, it's, you know, uh, part of the bread and butter of every nonprofit. You got to keep pushing forward and, and coming up with strategies there. So, Jeff, do you want to kick things off with that? Yeah, you know, I think like we talked about, you know, fundraising never stops, right? That's part of our business. It's part of what we do. But for us, as as we looked at the situation in March, we did as an organization, we took a little bit of a pause um, because we, the more we thought about it, you know, timing and transparency were the two words that really came to mind when I thought about how we were going to fundraise in this environment. Um, timing because you know, we didn't know, right? In March, we had no idea what this was going to look like. And I think we're still grappling with a lot of that. But um, for us and, and the work that we do, 
we looked around the community and, and tried to understand where where were the most emergent needs, right? We knew that food insecurity was a huge need and, and many others. So I think that's where the timing comes in because I think there is a level of sensitivity in fundraising that we all know is is there and necessary. Uh, so we took a little, little bit of a, a pause and then, um, you know, one thing we did want to address and are still working to that Kate mentioned was the digital divide and, and thinking about how do we make sure our kids have access and quite frankly, as a society and as a city, we're not nearly there yet, um, but we knew we could play a little role. We knew through our family engagement, we had a decent understanding of what our families needed. So it was incumbent upon us to try and leverage our network to, to get um, better access and whether that was um, internet or device, whatever it looked like. So we did a little bit of, a little bit of fundraising around that. Um, and then we did have um, some corporate, par corporate partners that stepped up and that's where the transparency came in. You know, we obviously believe in and, and know our mission is worthy, um, but at the same time, we had some conversations to really just share the challenge and, you know, say to a partner, this is what it will take. We as an organization, we prioritize and we really felt it was important to keep our team engaged and employed. Um, and, you know, that took some transparency to say, here's what it takes. Here's how you can help us. You know, not every funder loves the idea of, of paying for staff. You know, it's necessary. And those of us in the business of nonprofit know that that's you, know, you pay for great talent. Um, but it's not always easy to, to talk about and not every funder wants to pay for that. But, you know, in times like this, the, the best thing we could do is um, keep people on the team and keep them engaged in the community. And I think sharing that message very transparently and authentically with partners uh, really resonated. And, and those that did step up, they said, we get it. We want to be part of this. We want to make sure that as we come out of um, the other side, whenever that is, whatever that looks like, we know that you'll be stronger if your team continues to be engaged. So um, for us, it was about those two things, timing and transparency, keeping, you know, continuing to do our mission, continuing to do our work, but maybe changing some of our strategies and changing the way we talk about it a little bit. Patrick, Kate, I'll turn it to you then. Great. Um, I, I love that language of transparency and timing. I think that's really spot on. Um, and I think there are so many fundraisers who I see as participants in this in this group today. Um, I think we all know and appreciate that strong fundraising follows strong vision and clarity of message. And so I think for us, what we've really been thinking about as an institution is where is it that we can in this moment, um, given who we are, have the most impact? And then how do we how do we make sure we're communicating about that with our with our donors and our fundraising team has done an amazing job of then aligning all of their messages and asks around impact and around um, showing donors how we are, we're here because of their support and um, what their gift is able to enable today, whether or not some of the programs that we talked about earlier. Um, I do wanna just acknowledge, um, as I'm sure we're all facing, just being the challenging fundraising environment that we're in and the reality that it is a, a constrained environment and that if we look backwards to 2008, 2009, 2010, that it will be constrained going forwards. And so one of the things that we're really trying to do is also work incredible unity with our finance team and think about what are the different scenarios for how fundraising might un unravel or play out, not unravel, play out over the next not only year, but multiple years. And then looking at those scenarios, what do we then need to do today to try to get the best outcome and maximize revenue um, and then you know constantly reevaluating where we are 
to ensure the sustainability of the organization. So I do think this is a moment where, as we've talked about before, acknowledging the uncertainty, acknowledging the need to be flexible, and then embedding that in how we're actually planning, um, I think has been powerful. And then I'll just make one final comment, um, which is that I think, um, how are we supporting our, our development teams right now? I think this is a really challenging time for those teams. They're under a lot of pressure. They're ideating all the time. Um, it's also a team that tends to rely on extra you know, personal interaction. And so just thinking through how are we keeping those teams motivated in this environment is something I know I'm thinking a lot about um, and keeping them really engaged about their work. I love it. And that's perfect actually to segue into kind of our next bucket as what we deemed as an area um, that a lot of you are ultimately talking through. And that's kind of the strategic uh, side to things of kind of keeping in mind all of the historical events that have happened uh, recently. You know, what are some of those long-term considerations or plans that your teams have been, you know, been discussing as part of um, you know, not only Kate, you referencing the scenario planning from, you know, different financial or fundraising perspectives, but as an organization as a whole, you know, this is where we talked about, um, you know, what do you think you'll implement and keep? What do you think you'll retire? Um, you know, your, your fundraising, um, but then ultimately also kind of the considerations as part of a lot of the historical events that have been taking place your approach to currently or in the future diversity and inclusion. Those are all kind of things that rolled up into this strategic looking forward question we've discussed of what does that look like? Um, and Kate, let's start with you just because you had just come off of discussing scenario planning, which is so important. Thank you. Um, so it, it is a really exciting moment in some ways in terms of all of the change that's been accelerated. Um, by um, by the last um, by the last several months, and I think we all feel incredibly um, motivated to keep that pace of change going. So I would say that we are actually seeing, especially on the programmatic side, a desire to continue with all of the um, um, digital programs that we've been doing. And actually, how can we use that, as has been said by Brock and Jeff, to um, actually continue to expand the, the the scale and our impact in the community? Um, and then. Um, you know, I think one thing that we are also really actively thinking about is, is what is reopening going to look like? How are we going to support and encourage once we are able to open spaces, um, encourage people to and support people to come back to the to the museum? So thinking thinking through that quite a bit, and again recognizing that that is all about flexibility. Um, you know, on the on the critical topic of diversity, equity, access, and inclusion, you know, we have our board and staff have ratified a vision to be to, to want to be a transformative force in Baltimore and diversity, equity, access, and inclusion are core to that. And the way that we have um, tried to approach that is, is really to start with our staff first and how we are um, engaging and supporting with our staff. So last year, we started an internal assessment to look at um, our practices across the entire organization and all levels of the organization. And um, we realized that in COVID being in, you know, apart, we can't stop that work. We absolutely need to continue um, and with, um, you know, even greater, greater emphasis going forward. So um, I think that is going to be essential to everything that we're doing looking ahead. That's great. Um, Jeff, do you want to go ahead and follow on and, and speak to kind of some of the strategic outlook efforts or kind of discussions that have been taking place on, on, on your end? 
Yeah, you know, I I came into this role about 18 months ago, so it's been 18 months of listening and, and learning and, and the beginnings of a strategic plan, um, although I'll qualify that I'm not a huge fan of uh, large strategic plans. I think it's just more about action. Um, but having said that, we um, just this week, our team, our entire board of directors, our entire staff um, are having hour long conversations each day this week called Designing Our Future. And it's all about who we are and who we want to be. And not just in mission, we know what we do in our mission, but I think there is a difference in really talking about who are we as an organization and how do we continue to evolve to meet the challenges that uh, we do have, but also understanding the opportunities we have and and on the backdrop of a global pandemic, right? It has to be a different conversation. And I think we have to recognize that. And I think, you know, Kate's point on staff is a hugely important one and we're feeling it. And we, I've spent a lot of my time and we're spending a lot of our time as a team thinking about um, how do we support staff in a meaningful way? And because ultimately that's anywhere we go strategically is um, we're only going to get there because of the team that we have. And, and we know in a moment like this, compassion fatigue is a real thing. And it is uh, when you're serving every day, it, it can be challenging. Um, so we, we're spending a lot of time thinking about and putting actions in place to, to support our team. Um, just last Friday, we had a day of rest and reflection, which isn't, you know, you think about, again, all the emerging needs. Sometimes it's hard to step back and say, it's okay. We're going to trust that the community is going to continue to support, um, but our team is going to step back. And I think strategically, we have to be able to do that long term while still thinking about who we are for this city and thinking about who we are for our kids. And the last thing I would say is, you know, we'll continue, I think, to evolve and, and there will be lots of things that are different over the coming months and years. But for us, it's about just being mission forward. And, you know, with whether it's fundraising or our board, um, you know, one great example of that that I'll share is at our last board meeting, uh, we have a nine-year-old member um, named Noah who is an incredible designer. And Noah wants to be a designer. He's got these awesome uh, designs that he's done. And when you ask him why, he says, well, when I was younger, at nine years old. Um, so we connected him with, with uh, some friends and colleagues from Under Armour, and they're helping him um, create some of those designs. And I think those are the types of stories that we have to continue to tell, and they have to feed our mission, they have to feed our strategy. And if we do that, we'll continue to be who not only we should be, but uh, who we believe we should be for the city. I think that's great. Um, that's, I want to see some of his design work when you start having it put in front of you after, after that story. That's phenomenal. Um, Brock, could you talk to us a little bit about kind of what is Ullman, what are the conversations happening on the, the Ullman side of uh, the table of kind of what the future, what you guys are looking towards 2021 with um, from that perspective. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, so our, you know, our founder, Doug Ullman, he always says, you know, every obstacle is an opportunity. And, and I, and we, we sort of hear that and see that through many of the clients that we serve, you know, when they, they get through the woods and out of their cancer treatment that, you know, there were, there were certainly silver linings in that experience and made them stronger and better. And so as nonprofits really as the world, you know, this is a watershed moment. Um, you know, we're facing this this viral global pandemic as well as uh, this racial pandemic. And so I think it's um, it's forced organizations to um, to, yes, be innovative, be lean, to think differently about their work. 
but one of the things like we and I think a lot of organizations are doing, whether they recognize it or not, are, are really just getting back to the basics of, of you know, your values. And, and our organization that was founded 23 years ago in, in Howard County, a, a community built by James Rouse that was based on equity and justice and diversity and inclusion, you know, those are values that we've always hold held close and dear to our heart and, and tried to build an organization that, that lives that out. Uh, and I think what we recognize in this moment in so many individuals and families and communities and businesses are like is is we're not doing a, 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 as great of a job as we can. And so we have recognized we can do better. Um, so internally, you know, we have a, a work group that is is you know taking the steps to to, to listen and learn and educate ourselves on. On, on, on what we can do as an organization better. You know, uh, black and colored communities and underserved communities have been marginalized for, for, for years within the healthcare system, and, and, and that includes cancer care. And uh, Ullman has taken great strides over the past two decades to, you know, locate our organization in Baltimore City uh, to work in cancer centers like University of Maryland Greenbaum Comprehensive Cancer Center that serves an incredibly underserved population. You know, after the uh, the uprisings in Baltimore, uh, making a you know multi-million dollar investment in East Baltimore and opening Ullman House, um, uh, and so we've done a lot, but we can we can do a lot more, uh, and so that's a big part of our planning um, of of how can we both uh, navigate this this global pandemic that is impacting Ullman and so many nonprofits on the on the program delivery side as well as the fundraising side, but um. Uh, but really, just uh, make sure that we are we are doing our our part um, and being you know bringing justice and equity to to all cancer patients. Uh, and so thinking long and hard about um, how do these issues impact our community, our young adults, our families that are that are impacted by cancer. Uh, we were this year in the in the middle or the early stages of, of launching into a three to five year strategic planning process, and, and we paused that. Uh, as the pandemic took off, and so now we've we've shortened that, and, and we're we're sprinting into a, a two-month planning process uh, that will be an 18-month uh, um, uh, tactical visionary plan that'll position us come December 31, 2020, uh, to be in a in a in a strong, healthy place as we launch into 2021. That's awesome. Thanks, Brock. So I, you know. I sitting here and just from the conversations we've had as a collective group of panelists, but also just listening here today, you know, I'm hearing a greater sense of connection with our own team despite circumstances, a greater audience or a larger audience, ultimately, they we are able to get in front of um, organizationally um, collaboration that maybe we haven't typically seen within um, or as, you know, creative collaboration with our peers and with our networks um, that are, you know, able to assist in the forms of the you know fundraising or environment we're in right now um all of these being said um i've got two questions i'm going to try and get to them uh both of them but um you know at the risk of uh not getting to the surprise good or bad i really want to go to the takeaways of knowing our audience today is a mix of nonprofits. but at the end of the day you all are businesses that need to have you know, your scenario planning, uh, your strategic plans that maybe it's become, instead of that three to five year, it's become a little bit more agile, agile essentially. And um, I really love the reference that all of you in different forms have said that pause that has allowed you to be more present with what the future holds and what these initiatives hold. So can you talk takeaways, um, and Brock, just because you ended, I'll go to you, of what is your kind of takeaway that you could bestow on our audience today from your experience with all of this? 
Um, I, uh, so for our organization in many nonprofits, it's their mission, right? Our, our mission is, is foremost. And so we have, um, you know, led with that, leaned into that, um, really invested in making sure that the, our supporters in our world see and know the impact. Uh, and so whatever your business is, nonprofit or for-profit, I think um, really doubling down on that um, and focusing on, on the things that you do really well. Uh, that's one takeaway. The other thing is um, our people. Uh, again, I go back. To our, I'm so incredibly proud um, of our team. Um, and so we've always been a big believer and investor in our people. It was, it was a, a pillar in our, our previous strategic plan. Um, and, uh, you know, there's really no more important asset in an organization than, than their people from my perspective. And so we've continued to invest in them. Uh, you know, we have not furloughed or laid in and went off and we've been fortunate to, to be in that position. Uh, and the team has sort of doubled down and, and rose into the occasion. So, um, there, I encourage all teams, all organizations, businesses, to, you know, make sure you invest in your people. And, and now we're living and working in a new, uh, work environment. Um, and so we're listening to them to hear, you know, how they want to come out of this and, and operate maybe differently than we did before and just having an open mind to um, how that, you know, um, works into our, our, our business plan. Perfect. And then Jeff, do you want to go ahead and kind of just speak to your takeaways you would want to bestow on our audience? Yeah, I think, you know, our team here at Boys and Girls Club has here, heard me say this a thousand times, and, and I just I'm a huge believer in perspective. And I think some of that comes from the pause that Jen that you just talked about, and we've all shared. Um, and I think that's part of what's happening right now, and, and using that perspective to drive everything we do. We all come at this with different stories and different journeys, whether that's you know Noah that I shared or uh, myself or, or anybody, and really take taking all of that together to create the perspective of the organization. Uh, I think is really important and really powerful. And, you know, the other piece is, is just continuing the flexibility. You know, obviously, like I said in the beginning, our our mission is based in human connection in the club. But that doesn't mean that we aren't going to continue to use this virtual environment looking forward. You know, I, I've shared uh, the example of, you know, it's, it's almost a, a Netflix model moving forward where it's about subscribers and the intensity of their relationship, right? And And we can... We can think about it that way as well as we drive um, the type of connection we want both in the club and also um, in a virtual environment because this you know this is never going anywhere right technology is not going anywhere it's incumbent upon us to use it for our individual missions um, or you know corporate obje objectives so i think you know those are the two big things and um, really understanding the moment and uh, to brock's point using that moment as an opportunity to really create something um, special for the end of the populations that we serve. I love that. And then Kate, your final kind of takeaway thoughts. Yeah, absolutely. So I think in the, in the nonprofit sector, we can have a reputation for moving slowly. Um, and now is a time that demands action and it de uh, demands innovative solutions and all of the pivots that we've described and talked about and that so many of the participants have done themselves show us that we can change fast, actually. Um, and so I think, and show us that we can metabolize ideas and changes really quickly in our organization. So given the moment that we find ourselves in, as Brock described, the racial pandemic, the COVID pandemic, how do we be relentless? How do we um, continue to accelerate and drive change in our organizations to serve our communities? Um, so just knowing that we can that we can move faster, I think, than we 
previously given ourselves credit for. Awesome. Well, thank thank you so much for um, all of you for sharing essentially your experiences uh, to date. Um, I know that this group is one that typically, if in person, this would be a great opportunity to open it up to questions and kind of some collaboration around maybe some specific thoughts that um, attendees would have. So if there are questions while I'm kind of wrapping this up, by all means, if anyone wants to ask them via the chat or question box, please do. But, you know, this concept of rising to challenges and kind of seeing these challenges as opportunities is something that um, no matter the industry, no matter the, the business or organization, it just seems that is the approach to take right now. And that's something that, um, you know, this level of collaboration and maintaining connection, but ultimately the transparency, transparency side to it too, to just um, be authentic. And, and it's something that I think that, you know, you all have said as part of sharing uh, the changes that you have ultimately been making or pivots that have been made. And um, I just can't thank you enough for that.